Storm Bowling Products, the bowler's company, presents the Collegiate Spotlight with Coach K. Storm's technical director, Steve Klimkin, also known as Coach K, and Above180.com's Tim Berg are going to introduce you to a variety of collegiate players, coaches, and key people involved in promoting the sport of bowling. Now here's Coach K and Tim Berg. Joining us today on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight is Peter Samoff. Peter is the director of global technical communications for Storm. Peter, Tim Berg, and Steve Klemkin here. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, guys. I'm very, very happy to be here. Well, Peter, let's begin with why don't you tell bowlers uh, about what you do, tell the young listeners and our old listeners as well what you do, because your title is you're the director of global technical communications for Storm. So talk about that and what you do with Storm. Well, it's, it's a little complicated. I'm actually one of the first people that started with Storm years back, and my main uh, uh, job was really, uh, at that point, we had no salespeople, and so I went all over the planet uh, selling our products and, and going to pro shops, and we're a grassroots company, and so, uh, you know, really talking to other players, because my background was in, in the pro shop business. That was my forte. And so, um, after years and years and years and years, uh, we just... And as Storm got bigger and bigger and bigger, we just divided things up a bit. So now basically what I do is I uh, have that relationship with the pro shops and the community uh, and consumers around the world. So that's pretty much what I do. You know, so many times we get uh, equipment and we're not quite sure what to do with it. And reading it on the Internet or looking at something is not as clear as somebody showing you what's going on or helping you and uh, as well as listening to what's going on around the world. We want to know what's happening. Important. Hey, Peter, how exactly did you get started with Storm, and when was it? I know it was back in the early years. 1991. 1991, I had, um, boy, it sounds strange saying it, but I, I had a very, very successful uh, pro shop business in the Northwest. Um, at that time, I think I only had four locations, but it eventually grew to 11. But um, I was asked to take a look at some at, at a new product that uh, the distributor wanted to sell, and that's how it started. And I looked at this new product and it had a few promises, but it was a urethane ball, but a couple of glitches. And Bill Christman at that point asked me to get involved. And you know, it, it's funny how you're you're a little arrogant when you start something. You think you know, as a consumer, and you drill these things, you know what's going on. Manufacturing is a whole different ball game, as you know, Steve. And you get a massive amount of respect for what happens. And and it's uh, you know, we I will say, Bill and I both learned together over twenty years. Well, and as a ball drill, I want to drill down here on a couple things because what do the high school players? Because we do, it's called the the collegiate spotlight, and so the focus is mm-hmm. is on a lot of younger players and such. So, as a pro shop guy. What um, what questions are the young people of today not asking when they come into the shop as opposed to what they should be asking? Well, you know, now you get a little bit of psychology of things. Of course, as younger people develop and as their emotions, you know, catch up with things, you know, they're they're um, a little anxious to see things happen. They're anxious to see results, and I guess that becomes you know temperamental to who you are as an individual as well, but. They're look, there's two results oriented. They're not looking at the hows and whys of something uh, and it, how it's getting done. Also, the questions they're not asking about are as far as detail oriented, as far as their hand is concerned. I mean, bowling is the only sport 
that I can really think of where you put your hand in something. In other words, you're not grabbing something. You can't alter your grip. You need to have that communication with the pro shop. If the pro shop's, um, you know, well-versed on, on how materials are different and how the hand is different and things like this. And the questions they're not asking about is what happens to my hand during the course of competition or, or, in, or in this um, uh, climate or what do we do? It's those types of things. Uh, that's what I see. I see the energy, the excitement level, and that's great. But uh, And as far as even taking care of the surface of the ball, they're almost a little bit too reliant on what they're reading and seeing and, and not you know, looking within themselves on what's good for me individually and not necessarily being influenced by so many others. You know, we're in a very visual about- world now. We're we surrounded by those things. You, you talked, Peter, there a little bit. You touched on about the grip, you know, and I remember, you know, back in the day, you had an article actually in Bowler's Journal regarding wrist pain and tendonitis, and that's something that's affected bowlers um, for, you know, I would say decades, if not centuries, you know, in our sport. And I think you were talking back in there right. about the importance of a good fit. So, you know, the grip, the fit, you know, kind of talk to us a little bit about that. And, and you know, can a, can a good grip or, or a good fit actually help someone's performance and can a bad fit, can it hinder someone's performance well when i started bowling you know i was a i was a frustrated skier because it was difficult you had to have a lot of money to get in skiing um at the level i i skied since i was five years old and i was actually almost uh, made to the u.s ski team but it got really complicated at that point i wanted to do something that was um that, that just was me that that you know if i did this thing well it just was me. It was nobody else. I have to rely on a lot of things. And, and bowling kind of said that to me. It was you against the lane. And so I wanted to learn, of course, in those days, you had to pay for your lineage. And, you know, the way you had to do it was maybe get a job somewhere. So I didn't want to hand out, you know, shoes and things like that. So the pro shop, really, I thought was a place to be. Well, when I was learning from these guys and the best, best ball drillers, they were talking to me about, Drilling bowling balls that would alter how the ball would roll, meaning I would change a position or an angle of the thumb, and that would make me roll the ball differently. And then I started getting and drilling bowling balls for the people who weren't very good, the you know the older ladies in their 80s and things like that, had arthritis and things like this. And the answers that they gave me weren't conducive to. And at that point in time, I was going to college and studying physiology, and it didn't make sense. And so I started examining and taking a look at what the hand is about and the muscles. And if we understand the muscles, and all you can really do, just like orthotic for a shoe, is fit that, that object to that hand, that living, breathing thing that has different textures and, and you know, maybe sweats, it has, you know, perspires a little bit differently or whatever, different muscle structure. Obviously, if you lift weights for, for, fun or you run, your hand muscle development is going to be different. It's important to know those muscles. As I got into it more and more and more, and even now so, I see the best players in the world can't get past of something that they don't have to grab. Anytime you have to hang on to something, um, let's say, for example, you have the best shoes in the world, the best bowling shoes in the world. And they fit your feet perfectly. In fact, they're, they're, they even have orthotics that are molded to your feet. And I take the laces out of those shoes. Well, they still fit you, but you'd be concentrating on those shoes the entire time because, really, they don't fit that day. 
And that's what we're talking about with the bowling ball. You have to fit your hand, and it has to fit that day, and we lose sight of that. And I'm a real, as you know, Steve, I'm a real perfectionist when it comes to that. And it's fun. I mm-hmm. see from the poorer players or the less skilled players, the ball feels lighter in their hand, the game feels easier. To the highest professionals, we took, you know, took Amelino Monticelli and other professionals and, and on a whim changed their fit, and, and they threw the ball. They had more tools in their hand. So the benefits are so huge. Also, you don't disguise things. Let's say you think you're doing something that's inconsistent and correctly. Well, if you're having to support and grab something that you normally wouldn't be doing, that's going to influence what you're doing. So now, if you don't pay attention to that, you're going to not only not correct the wrong thing, but you're going to maybe add another problem. Because the thing you corrected, which wasn't a you know, proper correction, is now going to complicate something else. And I've seen it play out. I have probably, I can't even imagine, I've probably drilled 35 to 40,000 bowling balls. And how many people, um, as you know, Steve, I, all my job now is doing seminars in the world. So I just see people every day, you know, 30, 40 people every day. And, and you, you start to learn uh, there's something that's very, very common with this type of fit or this type of person. And when you have different languages, different personalities, but the results are always the same, then you know it must be correct. Love to get your thoughts. One of the big things among the youngsters these days, and even a couple older folks, is a two-handed technique. Um, and so I want to get your thoughts and a quick impression. As you travel around the world, like you said, what are what are people's, you know, do you see a lot more of it when you head overseas? Or just a brief thought on your, uh, the two-handed bowling. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see more, or you see some of it because it's ooh ah. It's, you know, it, it reminds me of the person that puts a million revolutions in the ball. Power is always sexy in some regard, okay? So you see that. But in essence, it's just a different delivery. Um, I see a lot of players using it that shouldn't be using it. They're actually, uh, in my view, a little bit lazy. Instead of correcting something they could correct, uh, they're going to something that looks impressive. Now, the one thing you got to think about, and and I was fortunate that I've worked with the best players in the world over many, many years, is that every nuance has, you know, a reason to it. So, for example, and I'll dig back, when Earl Anthony, um, you know, bowled the way he did, he didn't, he didn't succeed when he went on tour. Then he came home and he struggled, and he created the delivery of release that was um, great for that time. And you've got to remember, bowling's an environmental game. So you're taking consideration the bowling balls he used, taking consideration what the lanes were made out of, taking consideration everything of that environment. And he was a master of that period. Now, would Earl be a master of that period if, if we just dropped him out now? It, you know, I, I don't know. I don't think so because the environment has changed. If you look at a guy like Pete Weber, who has a very, very pure game, he allows the ball to swing, he allows the pendulum, he allows gravity to take a care of things, and he, what he does masterfully is he, is he masters the the ball speed to the ball roll ratio. Okay, well, his game has been through decades and decades. So the two-handed delivery is fine, but be aware that's an environmental change. And if the environment changes again, which it has, will that release survive? Will that be as effective? There's another thing you need to really think about, too. The two guys that are the most impressive, Oscar Palermo can throw the ball left-handed, right-handed with one hand, is extremely accurate. He is multi-talented. 
So he had, he learned the fundamentals of bowling first. Jason has been doing this since he's been eight years old. And there's another part of this thing that people don't think about. He's incredibly accurate. If you look at how much his misses are, it's, it's as good as a uh, one-handed technician, you know, throwing the ball. So you have to have both. It's nice having that power and all these things, but I think what a lot of people think is they can have that with the softer line conditions and not need the accuracy. Well, in reality, as you step up the ladder, you absolutely need both. So it sounds like what you're saying is people will they'll have a, a glitch in their one-handed approach and they'll be like, oh, heck with it, I'm going to go to two-handed because that looks easier. It, it, it's not as sexy. You know what? I mean, Walter Ray Williams doesn't look that sexy, okay? Or Norm Duke doesn't look that sexy. But they succeeded. What the players, the, everybody succeeds in a game like this, an individual game like this, gets within themselves and understands what's possible from them, both mentally and physically. And they use that to the highest level. Brian Voss is another example. Look at all the people who, you know, why do you think the guys that are in their 50s now are still strong players? Uh, Dom Barrett, you know, uh, of the younger, Dom has an excellent game, but Dom understands Dom, so does Stu Williams. They understand themselves. They don't try to be Martin Larson. Very conventional game, not a lot of revolutions, but efficient ball roll, very tall guy, hard to, but he understands Martin. And I think that's more important because Nobody looks, you know, tell me a player that looks like another player. They ever, it's, a, it's the most individual game there is, and it's a signature. And I caution anybody trying to emulate somebody else's signature. Find your own and be honest. And that takes time. That takes time and honesty. Hey, besides the uh, last question I have for you, Peter, and, you know, you're kind of digging in there a little bit about understanding yourself and kind of identifying your style and knowing yourself a little bit. What other kind of advice do you have for uh, younger players, either, you know, coming out of high school, maybe looking to go to college or compete? I'm not sure if you ever bowled in college or not. Uh, what, what kind of advice do you have for them? You know, I didn't bowl in college because it wasn't as popular as it is now. And, and for me, honestly, Steve, at that time, the PBA Tour was a, was a place to go. That was where the best players were. And we had, in the Northwest, things called Swiss tournaments, which were kind of a college environment then. It was a five-man team, two-day tournament. And it was, the you know, you get your no, you know best guys, and we'll get our best guys, and they're all PBA stars. So that was, that was my focus. But, you know, now with everything around you, uh, somebody, you know, going to school, you know, obviously study, you know, stay in school. Uh, let me tell you a couple different things. Um, when you practice, the better players are very focused when they practice. It's very important that you, you know, as you focus on school, that you have that time done because that's that's what you're there for those four years to to, to get your degree. Uh, secondly, make sure you're able to step away and your brain's fresh. And thirdly, when you come down and practice and have your competitions and have a goal, you know, have small goals, but be focused on where you want to be. And if you're Doing something with bowling now, and you are, are serious about bowling, you need to treat that as you as as uh, judicious as you would treat your classes. You know what I'm saying? You need to have as as you go through a class, you know, you study, you have an exam, you prepare for things, you do things. That's the same thing you need to do with bowling, and approach it almost in that you know college uh, uh, way or, or business way. That, that's, I guess, what I'm going to say with that. Make sure you're rested. Make sure your head's clean. Make sure when you go practice, you're not thinking about your classes. 
make sure, you know, I, I would say not to go because you, you know, want to blow off studying thing, you know, be fresh. That, that's, you know, be disciplined. And that's, that's what college teaches you anyway to be disciplined. All right. Well, great stuff. Great advice, Peter, for the young bowler and then the older, more experienced bowlers as well. Going to have to have you back on again. Very passionate about bowling in our sport and someone who I think we all can learn from, learn from your experiences, and and, uh, by all means, uh, help out the great sport of bowling here. Great. Well, I appreciate the time, guys. Thank you for the voice.